This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I'm fired up. For those of you watching, can see, but those of you listening, uh, you can't see this. I'm with Daniel Descalzo. Daniel, what's up, man? How are you? Brett, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's good to have you. You, uh, I, had to, I had to represent here on the chest, man. I had to wear the Cardinal logo today, and I'm getting ready. I'm like, all right, I got Daniel Descalzo on. We're going we're gonna to represent the Cardinals today. Is that all right? That's the first thing I noticed when I um, uh, figured you're ready to go. That's right, man. We're fired up, ready to go. So uh, we're, I know we're having a little bit of internet issues here, but we'll uh, we'll try to rock through this and have some fun. So, uh, man, you're born and raised in California. You're the oldest of six kids. Uh, I'm going to ask you some stuff about that. I uh, went to college at UC Davis. You were drafted in 2007 by our uh, beloved St. Louis Cardinals and made your debut in 2010. Um, and you guys won the World Series championship here in 2011. So, uh, in my opinion, that was one of the greatest World Series ever. Game six, obviously, was crazy in game seven. So, but man, if you can, Daniel, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in California and being the oldest of six kids. Yeah, you know, that, uh, that World Series, um, like you said, in my opinion, too, is one of the greatest World Series ever. Um, just the way we were down three games to two coming back home, um, you know, had to win, had to win the next two games. We got a little bit of help with a, uh, with a rain out there. So we can bring right. uh, big cart back on a short rest. And, um, you know, if we just knew that if we won game six, we liked our chances in game seven. And obviously that, that game six, um, you know, goes down in history as, as one of the greatest world series games of all time with, you know, coming back a couple times down to our last out last strike. Um, obviously, David Freeze is the, the hometown hero. A um, couple of huge, huge at-bats there. Um, you know, so it was fun last year to relive a lot of those yeah. moments um, with the, it being the 10-year anniversary of that. And, you know, I think some of us watched the, uh, a couple of the games all the way through, which I hadn't really done before. So it was fun to just see all, all the other stuff that went on in that game. You know, we know that David hit the, the triple and the homer, but there's a lot of other little things that, I think we forget about that contributed to that that victory that night. I think you had maybe what a couple hits that night. Yeah, I came off the bench. I think I was the last guy, last guy on the bench. I I pinch hit, um, got a single. Figured my night was done, but uh, you know Tony Larusa, being the uh, strategist that he is, double switched me into the game. I don't think I'd played shortstop in like two months, so I I went (laughs) in at short. um, Ended up getting another at bat later. uh, Get the rally started, and then. 
Yeah, so a couple hits off the bench that night. Yeah, that was awesome, man. That was my um, that was my tenth wedding anniversary that night, game six. So my wife and I we were season ticket holders, and we uh, took my dad and we took her dad. And I can say to this day, you know, our parents in their seventies, I've never seen my dad or my father in law jump that high, man. When that and we had these two Texas fans right in front of us. They were a dentist from uh, Texas. They flew up. They were going crazy. They thought it was over. And they didn't say too much after uh, at the end of the day. So, uh, and that was incredible, though. It was absolutely incredible. So we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But talk to us about what it was like, man, growing up. Obviously, you played baseball. You played some football, I believe. And uh, being the oldest of six, I've got four kids. It's crazy in my house. I can't imagine six. But talk to us about your upbringing. What was that like? Yeah, I, I, I guess you could say uh, being the oldest of six, it was like organized chaos in, in our house. <laughs> there was, you know... Uh, it was always loud. There was always a practice or a game uh, to go to. Uh, my brothers and sisters and I, we played, you know, you name it. We played basketball, uh, soccer, um, you know, baseball, obviously. We tried it all. Um, my parents were really supportive. My dad tried to, tried to coach us, um, you know, all, all equally as, as best he could, uh, whether it was being the head coach of my Little League team or helping out with my sister's softball. Um, you know, they, they really encouraged us to, participate in sports and, um, you know, do what, what made us, made us happy. So, um, like I said, oldest of six, you know, try, I tried to be as good as an example as I could, you know, growing up didn't always, uh, do the right thing, but for the most part, I, I felt like I, I paved a, a pretty good path for the rest of them to follow. Um, but, you know, as the oldest, you're like the Guinea pig, uh, your That's parents right. are, your parents are figuring out parenting with you. So they try everything out on you and then they're, they're better prepared for the ones that, that follow. So it was always fun. There was always something going on. Uh, I have a lot of cousins on my mom's side too. So big family get together for the holidays. Um, so I, I was used to kind of that, uh, that chaos. It was fun yeah. for us. That's cool. That's really cool. Lots of fights. I'm assuming you got a lot of brothers. I mean, how many brothers versus sisters? So there's three boys, three girls. I'm okay. the oldest, then I have two sisters. And then my, my two brothers are five years younger than me and, eight years younger than me. So, okay. uh, a lot of two on one like wrestling, but <laughs> I, had to, I had to take it easy because I was quite a few years older than yeah. them. So I couldn't just like pummel them. Otherwise they right. you know, run to mom and dad. So I had to be like strategic and maybe let them get a few shots in before I put the finishing move on them. Oh, that's cool, man. I love that. I love those stories. And uh, as an only child, man, it, my house was, you know, quiet as could be. And then yours was loud as could be, I'm sure. So, <laughs> yeah. um, well, yeah, man, there's lots of stuff to talk about, but I, so let's go back to that game six, game seven, obviously. I mean, what was that like? I mean, I, I think I saw somewhere where David Freeze even slept on his buddy's couch because he was superstitious or something going on there and, and, and all that stuff. But after game six, how do you go home, try to get some sleep and be ready for game seven? Yeah, I think that Freeze gotten pretty famous. Um, I think he was crashing on his buddy's couch for most of the playoffs and Obviously, he had been he had been uh, swinging the bat really well, and we've been playing well. So why why mix it up? Um, but yeah, you're so hyped after uh, after Game Six, a huge comeback. Um, how do you how do you wind down and try to get some rest for the next day? Because now the next day is the last game of the season, no matter what. You know, someone's right. got to win. Someone's going to be the champ. Someone's going to go home um, as as the runner up. So. You just try to do your best and, and get some rest. And even if you can't, I, I think you find some adrenaline uh, the next day. Um, you know, it's game seven of the World sure. Series. If you if you can't get up for that, then 
you got no business being in the ballpark that day anyway. That's right. That's right. Just like us fans, we had a late night that Thursday night, and I had a golf tournament that Friday morning. Had to cut out early, get back to game seven. Man, I could talk about this for days and days. But um, <laughs> so again, I'm, I'm going to jump around here a little bit, but talk to us about maybe when you did you know you were different? Like, when did you know that, man, this is like I got a real shot at something special here? Was there that moment for you? So I, I think there was like little moments along the way um, that, that kind of signaled to me that um, I had some good ability. And if I kept working, um, you know, things, I, I could probably play baseball for a long time. You know, as a, like a little leaguer, I was always, you know, the best player on the team, um, you know, but it's a, I grew up in like not a huge town. There's like, you know, 30, 40,000 people here, but I was the, I was the best player on our little league team all the way coming up and on all 13s too. And then you kind of get to high school and I went to a little bit bigger high school, a good reputation for uh, athletics and, and baseball, especially. And, um, you know, make varsity as a sophomore, play a lot, start to establish myself as one of the better players on the team. By the time my senior year, I'm the MVP of the league. So another signal like, okay, this is, you know, this is going well so far. Yeah. Didn't get drafted, didn't get drafted out of high school though. Um, was not a guy that would, uh, you know, pop up on, on a scout's radar or really like jump off the page or jump out, out of the game if you watch me one time or if you watch me take batting practice. Um, but I think if you watched me over and over again, you would see that I put together good at-bats, played good defense, like uh, had a good knowledge for the game. So I didn't have a lot of scholarship offers either, but I, I had an offer to go play at UC Davis. Well, at that time, it was a Division two school, but they were transitioning to Division one. Moving to the Big West, which has, has powerhouses like Long Beach State, Cal State Fullerton, oh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of good baseball schools. So um, accepted that offer and thought I had a good chance to play as a freshman, uh, be exposed to some good competition, and, and figured that would be a good way to test myself. Kept having success. Um, and then all of a sudden, my junior year, scouts start showing up at practice, showing up at games. I'm getting phone calls. Uh, so that was when I was like, okay, I, I, could, I got a chance to do this for a living. All I need to do is you know, I just need to keep playing well, um, get drafted, and then the rest is like, you know, it's up to me. Once you once you get that shot, like yeah. now now it's on you. It's your career. Um, you know, but I just wanted to get an opportunity to get to that next level and, and then take it from there. What was your mindset like during all that? So let's say now you get drafted. You're there. You were drafted in 2007, made your debut, I believe, in September of 2010. Well, I mean, what was that mindset like uh, knowing there's, you know, there's a thousand guys trying to go where you're trying to go, right? And so what was your pregame or, or kind of your morning routine, things like that? So I think, you know, getting drafted, I didn't really know a whole lot about the professional baseball experience, uh, especially the minor league experience. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends that had, you know, done that. So I was kind of, you know, flying blind and didn't really know what to expect. And I got out to small town Batavia, New York, in the New York Penn League uh, for rookie ball. Um, my manager was great, but he was uh, a, a guy like a type of personality I'd never pl played for, been around before, very loud in your face. Um, but it was great. I learned a lot. Um, learned about developing a routine, like show up to the ballpark. Um, not someone superstitious that if my routine got thrown off, I, I couldn't perform. But, you know, I'd get there, maybe get my workout in, go to the cage early, get some swings in. If I'm working on something, really work on that, get out to the field. Uh, maybe early work for defense, get my ground ball. Since I played a couple different spots, I'd take some at second, take some at third. Um, and, and then after that, just get prepared for the game, go over the scouting report. Um, if I face the guy, maybe watch some at-bats on video. 
Um, but I, I think like as a, a general mindset, getting drafted, um, once I kind of got comfortable with baseball being my career and, and being my, my livelihood and my job, I think I really set a goal as like, okay, let's, let's try to keep moving. Let's move up a level every, every year. Um, <clears throat> I get drafted 2007 at the end of that year, I got moved up to, uh, low 18 for the playoffs. Um, the next year I skipped, I skipped low A, go to high A, get moved up to double A at the end. So I, I just, I wanted to try to keep, keep moving forward and, and not tell myself like, all right, we have to get to the big leagues this year. Let's just, if I'm in high A, let's make the goal. Let's get to double A this year. Yeah. Um, just try to try to have some attainable goals um, and just keep, keep moving forward. I love that because you know, we talk about this on, on the circuit of success podcast all the time is uh, obviously a lot of business people listen, but there's so much correlation between sports and business. Right. And so I love that you say that it was just, one step at a time. And I think so many of us are guilty of, well, I'm here and I want to go to from A to Z, right, tomorrow. Uh, I know I've been guilty of that, especially in my younger days, but I think it's it's true. I mean, it's great, great wisdom from you to say one step at a time. But you had your goals. You knew what you were doing, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the end, the end game was the big leagues. That's like the long-term goal. But yeah. I had to set, you know, little little goals along the way, little benchmarks, things that I felt like I had to do and get good at in order to get to that level where I want to be and to stay there and be successful um, when I did get there. And, and I, so I was in the minor leagues for just over three years, which is, you know, relatively quick, but it's not like I was, I flew through the system. Um, and I, I think, especially for the Cardinals, you were expected when you got to the big leagues and you're playing for Tony La Russa, you were expected to know how to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And if you weren't able to do that, you would find yourself, back down in triple a or double a or wherever you came from yeah yeah what, what was the hardest thing about getting you got to the majors but then you had a great 10-year career so then how do you what was the hardest thing about staying in the majors yeah not, not that getting there is easy but staying is harder um, yeah. so I, I think you have to be adaptable i mean i think as a baseball player and a baseball fan the game has changed a lot over the last 10 or 15 years uh, the incorporation of analytics, um, shifting uh, what what general managers and talent evaluators are looking for. Um, so I, I think just not being stubborn, um, knowing what you're good at and, and knowing what got you there, but also being willing, uh, being able to adapt and being willing to be like coachable, take some feedback. And I think I had to do that. I had to make changes um, to my approach to my mechanics in order to stay around and stay relevant and stay as a contributor. Um, like I said, the game, the game has changed a lot and there's so much information out there and it's easy to get bogged down by the overload of information. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to do a good job of kind of filtering out what's good for you as an individual, um, but also being coachable and, and taking that feedback from whether it's the analytics department or, or coaches and then, you know, using that, to better your individual game. Yeah, that's huge, man. Being coachable, it's a big deal because whether you're a child and your parent, right, be coachable from your parents or uh, be coachable at work, you can't uh, you can't replace that mindset, man, because it's if you think you got it all figured out, you're not going to go anywhere and have a 10-year career in the bigs, are you? Yeah, you know, especially in baseball. The, the moment you think you have everything, like, figured out, that's when you get, you know, something happens, you go into a slump, and then yeah. you can't figure out how to, how to get it back, like, the game will humble you very quickly. I mean, 
I never, I would never say that I thought I had it all figured out, but there were some times where I'm like, okay, I'm going pretty good right now. Let's ride this way for a while. And then yeah. all of a sudden you, you, you hit a couple of line drives right at somebody. And then you're like an over 15 slump. You're like, man, I, last week I was feeling great. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. I was on top of the world. Now I feel like I'm never going to get another base hit in the rest of my life. That yeah, yeah switch and, you talked about that, that thing, man, as a baseball fan, I wasn't ever obviously a player at your level. So I, I don't understand it as well as you guys do, but what do you think of the switch? I, I personally can't stand it. You know, I think that we just, we saw some teams have some success um, going, going into the analytics. And I think analytics are great. I think there's a huge place for them in the game. I think we may have swung too far in the direction of relying on, on analytics. I think we're analytic heavy right now. I really think it's going to come back a little bit. Um, I think there's going to be a, a premium put on, you know, guys that can make contact, uh, pitchers that don't walk guys. Um, I think there's, there might be a, a, you know, some, a premium put on, you know, coaches that have played the game, front office guys that have played the game, um, and just melding that information together. I, I, I know that the product that's on the field right now is not as uh, entertaining for fans. Yeah. Um, but I, I see how we got there. Guys get paid by hitting homers and striking guys out. So, of course, players are going to try to do that because they see player X, Y, or Z got paid because they hit 40 homers last year. They might only hit 220 and struck out 150 times, right. but he ran into 40, 40 baseballs and he hit them over the fence and he got paid for it. So yeah. why, why am I not supposed to do that if I see yeah. that's how guys are making money? So it's just a hard cycle to break out of. Well, that's true. I mean, I guess from a player's standpoint, you know, fans get so emotional, but, but the players, it's a business for you, right? I mean, that's it, your business. It's your livelihood. No different than my business is my livelihood, right? Yeah. I mean, we're lucky to play a game, but we treat that game as our job and like we work on our craft. Like people see the product on the field. They don't see the, the off season, you know, five, six days a week training, hitting early work in the cage every day before the game. Yeah. Like guys, guys are so good hitters are so good but pitchers are so good too like you see a lot of strikeouts there's guys that are i mean everyone throws 95 96 now that's like no big deal um with nasty breaking balls like i, I think hitting right now is as hard as it's ever been but you still see guys going out putting up you know crazy numbers so um you know it's just strikeouts the pitching is is so good and you know strikeouts are up but i, I think that i think you're going to see a cycle back hitters are going to work on making more contact just as we saw hitters work on driving balls out of the park more it's yeah. it's going to come in cycles like i think when i first came up everyone threw a split finger fastball now everyone has like a cutter everyone throws the high fastball it's just these cycles that it kind of goes through like four or five years and then guys figure out how to combat it and then they have to make an adjustment again yeah, yeah. the cutter will be back and, and the, back to the business side too i mean again as fans you know you're ended you ended your career with cubs I mean, come on, man. How do you, I mean, how do you put on the pinstripes, the blue pinstripes, right? But again, it's a business, right? But is it still hard when you are a Cardinal and you know that atmosphere at Bush Stadium and you're playing the Cubs when you now they're going to put a check in your in your in your bank account, so it's probably a little easier. But when you got to walk into Wrigley Field, uh, I always love going to Wrigley Field. So everybody to be able says to, that, Dan. Yeah, I know, on, man. To be, to be able to play on the home <laughs> side was was special. I mean, obviously I had been there as a visitor with the Cardinals. And when I was with the Cardinals, we dominated that, that rivalry. It wasn't much of a rivalry. The Cubs were, you know, struggling. So it was like, you know, half or maybe even more than half Cardinals fans. So it almost felt like a home game with that Wrigley Field atmosphere. But um, 
you know, when the when the Cubs, you know, made made that offer to me, I I had just wanted I had heard great things about playing um, for them, not only the on on the field stuff, but just the way that they took care of their players off the field, um, the new the clubhouse and stuff they had put in there. But it was a little weird, especially the first time going to St. Louis as a uh, with with a Cubs uniform on, or first time playing the Cardinals in, in Wrigley with a Cub uniform on, like I was used to being on on the other side. Um, so it was fun. There there wasn't a lot of guys left on that Cardinals team uh, from when I played, but there was still yeah. like you know Yachty was there, Wayno was there, Matt Carpenter. Uh, good to see those guys uh, yeah. from the other side, but uh, it was fun. So let's talk about some of those guys you just mentioned. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name some guys and and. Tell me what they mean to you, uh, either you know on the field or off the field. But let's let's start with Wayno, man. What was that guy like? I mean, just like Mister Consistency. Um, you know, watching him take the ball every every five days, you knew you're going to get a, a chance to win. Um, a guy that just wanted the ball in a big spot. Uh, goofy, funny guy. On the four days he wasn't pitching, uh, like I'm sure people have seen him dancing around in the dugout and and like big smile on his face, but. Uh, on that fifth day, when it was his turn to pitch, you know, he came to the clubhouse. He was all business, scowl on his face. Um, so then, when I when I got to face him as a uh, as the opposition, when I when I played with the Rockies, um, you know, I, I think if you if you don't know him, he's a big, tall guy with that scowl on the mound. He can be intimidating. But the only the guy that I could think of out there was the the goofy, like yeah. fun loving guy. So he he lost his intimidation edge when when I was in the box because I know that he's like. Just the nicest guy. Yeah, that's that's good. That that does help, I guess, doesn't it? When you're in yeah. the you know his personality more than you know him as a baseball player. But exactly, and, you know, yeah. he hits the crap out of the golf ball. Have you uh, have you played golf with him? Can you outdrive him? I know you're a golfer. You know, I haven't had the privilege of playing him, but I know he's pretty good. I didn't play a lot when uh was with the carts. I just I thought it was gonna mess up my baseball swing and so I, I didn't I didn't do it. But then I I saw I was missing out on a lot of uh, fun off-day activities. So uh, I think 2015, I picked up a set of golf clubs, and I've been I've been hooked ever since. Yeah, see, guys like you kind of make me mad. I've been playing golf since I was six, and and then you're just like, oh, I just picked up a set of golf clubs now. And I see on your Instagram, you're winning some you're winning some tournaments <laughs> and crap like like. So what's your handicap now? Uh, I'm playing like a four and a half right yeah, now. Yeah, see, um, that's just not right, man. This guy's been playing their whole life and can't get to that. But I, I've had a lot of free time. So I've been taking lessons. I get out right. to the range whenever I can. So, like, I, I really – when I say I have the golf bug, I really have the golf bug. Like, it's it's bad. My wife hates it. But I, I love getting out there to play uh, whenever awesome. I can. But so when awesome. the kids go down, kids down for a nap, I'm like, oh, I'm going to sneak out to the range and get the ball for, like, an hour. So I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. I promise. I promise I'm not yeah, going to play yeah. 18 holes and be gone <laughs> yeah. for seven hours. But, yeah, but sometimes – I'd, I'd be curious – sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sometimes – when I do go to the to the club and and the course is wide open, when I say I'm going to the range, I'll just pop on and see see if I can get like six or seven holes in before yeah. I before my time's up. That's right. That's right. I I think I'd be curious about this since you played a, a professional sport. Obviously, I believe I'm, I'm a golfer and dabbled in golf a little bit in college and all that stuff, and so play a, a ton still. But I think it's the hardest sport there is. And, and tell, you can either tell me why I'm wrong or, or agree with that. But do do you believe that? that golf is the hardest sport. Yeah. I, I think golf is, if, if not the hardest, it's gotta be top, top three. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just, I think it, it doesn't seem hard. I mean, logically it's not hard. The ball's sitting still, right. you have to right. hit, it, hit, hit it to this, 
you know, big patch of grass and put it in the hole, right? Easy, very easy concept. But so many variables and there's no one else to blame but yourself when, yeah. when stuff goes wrong. Um, as much as we'd like to blame like the lie or the wind or whatever, it's, it's on you. And, and there's so many, so much trouble you can get yourself into and then it's on you to get out of it. Um, I just think it's in the, the mental, the mental struggle of, all right, if I hit a bad shot, I have to like, my next shot is now my most important. I have to forget about the last one. That's right. No, no, sim- uh, very similar to baseball where, you know, have a bad at bat or make a bad play. Like now I have, I still have another play to make or another, another at bat to have. Um, so I, I think I really try to do a good job of on the golf course, yep. forget about the last shot. Next shot is the most important one. Yeah. I've heard that from a lot of baseball players too, that short-term memory is key in baseball, but it's, it's key in it really anything in life. Right. But you got to have that short-term memory. Yeah. And, and you can't be like, you, you watch the guys on tour. I mean, that's what makes them so good. Yeah, they, they smash the golf ball and, and they make putts. But, like, when those guys get in trouble, the way that they save par, you know, get out of trouble, yeah. the, all the shots that they have, like, it's it's unbelievable. Where me, I'm, if I hit that ball there, I'm looking at double bogey. Yeah. These guys, these guys are making par. So, yeah. I, I've really I've really gotten to enjoy watching uh, golf and just watching how, like, methodical those guys are and, and watch them at their craft, I, you know, I have an appreciation for how hard the game is and, and how easy they make it seem at times. That's right. So, so that was Wayno that spun into golf there, but talk about Yachty. I mean, how, how important uh, is that guy in your clubhouse? I mean, I think Yachty is just the stabilizer. Um, he's the rock of that franchise and has been for a long time. Um, whether he's feeling a hundred percent physically, whether he's 50%, he's going to, he's going to go out there and give you everything he has. You have to, you have to pry that guy off the field. Yeah. You know, I, I know, I know they say this is his last year, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if he keeps playing, you know, longer than, than he says. I, I just think he, he is a winner and he's, um, he's a competitor. He hates to lose. Um, and I just think ha- having him as a, a stabilizer for the pitching staff, you know, if you're a young pitcher and you get called up, you know, what a luxury it is to have Yachty behind the plate to kind of oh. guide you through, um, your first time in the big leagues and just kind of being able to trust him, knowing that he's done his homework on the, on the players, probably, you know, have seen these guys and scouted them a, a lot of times before that just knowing that you could roll with him and, and he's going to, he's going to have a great game plan for you. Yeah. So um, always a pleasure, like sharing a field with him, playing with him, just watching him compete. Um, and like I said, he hates to lose. So he's just, he's like the warrior of the game back there. Like you got to pry him off the field. And did you see anything different? Like, was there that one thing or that magic, you know, sauce that either like a Wayno or, a, you know, a Pujols or Yachty? I mean, these, I mean, you played with some of the greatest players ever, man. And was there anything different about them that you saw that, man, these other guys don't have that? Not to call those guys out, but just was there anything different? You know, I, I think the thing that stands out is like mentality. Um, you mentioned Albert. When Albert showed up to the ballpark, I mean, he was on a mission and his mission was to be the best player in the game. Like he had his routine and he was focused and, and nothing was getting in his way of, of getting his stuff done and going out there and hammering baseballs that night. Um, you know, I was a rookie and at that point, Albert had been the best player in the game for like 10 years. And he didn't have time for a lot of other BS when that guy got to the park. Like he wasn't there chit-chatting with us, like, you know, grabbing a car. That guy was going to work. Um, and I think Yachty is the same thing. Like those guys have been doing it 
so well for so long and they know what they have to do. Like they were, once they got to the ballpark, their mission was to win and, and to be great. And so just watching those guys from afar, like watching Yachty go over a scouting report, watching all the other hitters, like, all right, that's what I have to do uh, when I'm scouting like other pitchers. I need to, I need to put in that type of work, just setting an example. Like Yachty may not be the most vocal leader, but that guy leads by example as good as I've seen. Yeah, that's crazy. So we'll, we'll talk about uh, my friend Kyle McClellan. I sat on his board, Brace for Impact, and I was watching the video last night, and you had a, a big hit. I think it was in the 2012 NLDS or something like that. I see McClellan, the camera goes over. He's going crazy for you, man. What was it like playing with Kyle? Oh, Mac was great. So he was like our player rep uh, for the union when, when we all got called up. So he would – That doesn't he told surprise us all, me. <laughs> he told us all the stuff about like when they uh, – you know, you should – elect this on your, uh, you know, beneficiary stuff. And he gave us the blooper and he's like, you know, he had his elaborate like 10 year plan. Well, this is what I'm going to do with my money. And I'm going to invest this. I'm like, McClellan, just like, just tell us what we need to do. Like, we don't want to hear your, your spiel. Just leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. This is um, what check and why and where. Yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, but I know he's done a great, great stuff with the Brace for Impact um, post-career. And he's, uh, it was good getting to catch up with him a little bit at, at the reunion uh, this yeah. past September. Yeah. They're absolutely crushing it, man. Him and his wife, Bridget, they do an amazing job. It's fun to watch all the stuff they're doing in North St. Louis here and down in Haiti. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. So what, what did you learn about culture that, you know, again, a lot of business people listening to this culture is huge at work and it's huge in the, in the, uh, you know, at, at the baseball field. So what'd you learn about culture? I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I, like you said, culture is, it's huge. And how do you build culture? How do you maintain culture? I, I think people, business sports are trying to figure out that, like that formula, right? How do you, is it like, is it organic? Do you have to work yeah. at it? And, you know, I, I think on that 2011 team, was, for example, um, I know that the 2010 team wasn't as successful. They, they went out and they brought in some free agents, guys by the name of Gerald Laird, Ryan Terrio and Nick Punto guys that had been around, um, the guys that had some, some bigger personalities than I think had, had been in the clubhouse the year before, um, but not so big that it was a distraction, if that makes sense. And, and I, so they kind of kept it light, but, but professional and focused at the same time. And then you have this quote unquote cardinal way, right? Everyone talks about the cardinal way and how do we buy into it? And I think that starts at the minor league level where they have this system in place and, they talk about, you know, when you get to the big leagues, this is what you're expected to do. And, and we learned that down here by, by winning games at the minor league level. And, and because to win baseball games at any level, certain things have to happen. And if you've never done them in the minors, how can you expect to do them in the big leagues? You know, it's just, it's, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't compute. So I think that alignment, that same message from the organization at the big league level, all the way down to the lowest level of the minor leagues. I, I like that term alignment. It means everyone's like, we're all on the same page. The message is consistent. You're not hearing different things from different coaches or once you get up to the next level, you're not hearing something totally different than what you had at the previous level. Um, and then getting up to the big leagues at that time, if you didn't buy into what the other guys were doing or the direction that everyone else was pulling in, they, they would get rid of you. Um, and, and it didn't really matter if, how good you were, you know, if you weren't falling in line and, and everyone pulling those 25 guys in the same direction, you were going to find yourself on the outside looking in. And we, we saw some guys get traded away that um, probably could have helped us. Um, but 
either the coaching staff or the front office saw something that, you know, it aligned with that decision and that call, it would be a distraction instead of a help for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's key. That's huge. So, so what did you do? You talked about earlier when maybe you went, you know, over 15 or something like that. And like, so again, compared to the boardroom, right, we can be in struggles at work. How, how did you push through those struggles to then come back out on top? Yeah. You know, I, I think as a, from a hitter's perspective, you're struggling at the plate. The first thing you want to go do is like, look, Oh, is my, is my swing messed up? Are my mechanics off? Um, so I, before I would look at that, I would kind of look at, all right, what pitches am I swinging at? Am I, am I swinging at good pitches? First and foremost, am I chasing bad pitches early in the count? Now I'm getting behind in the count. Now the pitcher can do whatever, whatever he wants. So I get to relate that back to business. Are we, from a business perspective, are, are we trying to do the wrong things? Are, are we missing, uh, you know, from an approach standpoint, are we just, uh, are we swinging and missing because um, we're outside of our, our expertise level and we're trying to do things that maybe we're not as prepared for? And then we kind of rein that back and maybe we need to refocus and, and do things that we know we're, we're good at. So I would start there and uh, focus on like what I'm swinging at. Um, then maybe from there, I, I would just go back to my routine and, and hammer my routine um, and just kind of refocus on what I do well, um, what gets me locked in, in the cage and, and just trust that, that process that got me there instead of trying to overhaul and make a change because I had a bad week. Um, so just kind of recentering and, and refocusing on, on the things that I do well and, and my routine at the field. Um, and then just instead of going into the batter's box, trying to do something totally different, I'm confident in my ability and my approach and all the work that I've put in and my plan that I know if I keep doing the same thing, I've had success before that that success is going to come back. Yeah. And I, I hear in that as a passion for the process, right? Whether you're chasing the wrong client, the wrong lead or whatever, but it's trust the process and know what got you there can keep you there, but you gotta, you gotta commit to it. Yeah. As corny as it sounds. And like, I think, you know, the, the Philadelphia 76ers have kind of killed the the phrase, trust the process, yeah. you know, but you, you really have to, it's especially in a results oriented profession like baseball or business, like, Yes, you have you have to perform. You have to put. You have to have results to stick around or to be successful. But the way we get those results and how we build to those results is the most important part. If you're doing it the wrong way, yeah, you might get away with it for a little bit. But in the long run, you know, if you don't have that that process, it's it's gonna be, it's gonna bite you. Yeah, and I, I love that too. You brought up the uh, scoreboard stuff because it's so true. I talk about all the time. Imagine like if my office had like the jumbotron in it, right? Like. Did you make that call or did you do this? I mean, like everything you guys did, man, like here's your stats. Here's his last 10 games. Here's his, you know, home runs. Here's his strikeouts. Here's his hits. Here's his batting average. Here's air. I mean, whatever, man, it's there, right? It's on the line. That's got to be mentally tough, I would think. Yeah, you know, you, you can't hide from it. You have to just embrace it. Like for the, for the casual fans, say like I could hit four balls hard one night, four line drives right at the center fielder. I did everything that I wanted to do in my at bat. I did everything perfect. I just hit the ball right at, right at the fielder, like out of my control. Fan looked at the box score, 0 for 4. Oh man, this guy stinks, right? Terrible, mm-hmm. 0 for 4 again. So you, so you could be doing everything right. Um, the process, execution, everything could be going right. No results. How do you continue to do that when you're not getting the results? Well, I know I did everything right. I, it's, it's just very hard. You have to trick yourself into yeah. saying, all I can control is, what I swing at, 
and how hard I hit it. Once it leaves my bat, it's out of my hands. You know, I, I can't, I can't be trying to aim the baseball for the most part all around the field. And, you know, I just have to go up there and get a good pitch and hit it hard. And that's my job. And mm-hmm. if I keep doing that, I have to know that the results will be there. That's right. What, what do I do now? If I follow, if I follow you around, I follow with a camera, Daniel Descalzo around every day, besides the hour where you sneak out to go hit some golf balls, but <laughs> what, what are you doing today? Um, and, and what's your mindset and what are you working on? Okay. So today, this morning I had the, I had the, my two older kids are five and three. So I had them up, we got breakfast, drop them off at school, right? Drop the one off at kindergarten, the other one off at preschool. Um, I got a golf lesson this afternoon at <laughs> two, uh, but the last couple of days I had, uh, so I'm back in school finishing up my, my economics degree at UC Davis. Oh, cool. So I had, cl- I had, I had class all day Tuesday. Well, I had like three hours of class Tuesday and then a couple of small discussions afterwards. And then Thursday is same thing. And I'm also helping. Uh, so Wednesday I was out there at practice for like an hour and a half, same thing yesterday. Um, just, they have a new coaching staff. I'm just trying to be as helpful as I can. I told them I can't be there every day, you know, with the young kids and uh, yeah. other stuff going on. But I told them I'd give them a couple of days a week um, at minimum, you know, help watch guys swing, help them out, talk about situations I've been in, you know, impart any wisdom uh, that I can. And so that, that's, that's been fun too, just to have it, trying yeah, to have, to have on some of those on the 18, 19 year old, 20 year old kids. And if I can, if I can help them get a little better every day, then that'd be great. Talk to us about you, uh, you and your boy, John Jay, uh, another fellow Cardinal that went to the Cubs, but we won't keep bringing that up. I apologize. Uh, but John Jay, you guys got a couple things cooking, man. What are you guys doing? Yeah. So, uh, Jay's Jay and I've been, you know, friends since we met each other in like spring training in the minor league. We've become really close. Our families are friends. We've gone to Europe with them. We've gone to Hawaii with them. It's, uh, you know, lifelong friendships, but you know, Jay's more of like the networker type. He's the one who's like meeting everybody, getting their info, staying in contact. He's really good at that. So um, a couple of people have, have approached us over the years, uh, you know, getting involved in some some projects outside of baseball. And so one is this uh, small batch eyewear company called Tomahawk Shades out of New York. Um, athletic shades, casual shades, fashion shades. We just launched our uh, first ski and snowboard goggle today. So oh, check nice. out tomahawkshades.com. They're, they're pretty cool. Uh, so we're hoping to get those to uh, get some players when they're popping champagne in the uh, you know postseason. Yeah. Game, some tomahawk goggles to protect the eyes from the bubbly. Um, we're also involved in a, uh, a startup tequila company out of Southern California. Um, just just getting going right now. Uh, we're on our second batch of production uh, in lots of uh, little bars, lounges, liquor stores in the Southern California area, mainly Venice Beach, uh, Santa Monica. Just trying to build that brand down there before we uh, before we expand into some other markets. So awesome. just kind of some fun fun stuff that you know the, some relationships, some uh, networking that has has opened up some opportunities for us, and just felt like uh, right time to to get in there. Awesome, man. Well, that's good, man. I love hearing that kind of stuff. Last few questions for you is so our our firm's mission is uh, helping people achieve a future greater than their past. So when you think about that, your past, right? You've had a good past. Sounds like you had a good upbringing. Obviously played 10 years in the bigs. You won a World Series. That's good. So when I say that, I don't mean the future is better because your past was bad. But when you think about where you're at now, what does it mean to live a future greater than your past? Well, you know, so I, I think that for me, it's, it's just kind of building on what I've already done uh, as a baseball player. Um, you know, 
playing in the big leagues was great. Obviously, you cannot play in the big leagues forever. There has to be something. Well, hopefully, there's something else after that 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 um, is passionate, the passion of of the individual. So, um, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of great coaches, a lot of great mentors along the way. Uh, I would love to get back into um, that side of the game. Uh, I'm eager to learn how that the front office side works, uh, the coaching side works. Uh, I, I feel like I have, I don't have all the answers, but I feel like I have a good, you know, wealth of knowledge and I like to work. So if there's somebody that wants to work at something, I I would love to help them get to where they're going. I want to help kids maybe at the minor league level, get to the big leagues and then stay stay at the big league level. Um, Managing is something that that interests me. I don't know if I would uh, necessarily want to do it, but it's definitely something that, that, uh, you know, sparks my interest. Um, But I, I really would like to, to give back some of the the knowledge and the skills and, and the experiences that that I had, I would like to pass those down um, from a coaching perspective, um, whether it's on the field or in like a player development type of situation. Not quite sure yet. Haven't got there. Uh, not ready to dive in fully, but yeah. um, I, I definitely think that that's a uh, a passion of mine and something that I, I could be good at. Yeah. So again, again, on the business side, it sounds like clarity is, is key because if we're clear about where we're going, there's a much better likelihood you're going to get there. Um, yeah. So how, how many of the fears did you ever put in your mind? You know, how many of them actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? I, I guess like my greatest fear was always, is this the year I come back to spring training and I can't hit anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I would just have that thought would just flash like, and usually I was able to get that out of my head relatively quickly. Um, and I, I always felt like I did a good job of, you know, not making things get, you know, spiral. Um, I think there was a, you mentioned that 2012 division series where I got a big hit. I mean, we were down to our last out. We lose, we go home. And I vividly remember walking to the plate and hmm. telling myself, well, the worst thing that can happen is you make an out. Um, you've done that a thousand times, probably more than that, you know, the game will be over, but nothing bad, nothing bad is going to happen. You're not going to die. You know, your career is not going to be over. The worst thing that can happen is you make it out. So go up there, get a good pitch, put a good swing on it. We'll see what happens. And and I think over the course of my career, whether it was an at bat or facing an uphill battle, making a team or trying to make an adjustment, I, I think I tried to not let the moment become too big and overwhelming and, and just kind of simplify it uh, easier said than done, but, you know, take a deep breath and, and like recenter and refocus and say like, okay, the worst thing that can happen in this situation is I get out or the worst thing that can happen here is I, I make an error and, or, you know, miss a ground ball. That's it. Like we it might lose. And yeah. Yeah. We might lose and that, and that sucks. But the great part about baseball is I'm, I'm probably going to have another chance tomorrow or later in this game. You know, nobody's dying. My uh, my leg's not going to fall off. I'm I'm going to be okay. You yeah. know, so just I felt like I had a good um, a good thought process in that respect. Where yes, it might seem like a big moment, and it is a big moment, but it's not life or death. Yeah, yeah, it's great perspective, man. Really good perspective. So I was going to say bourbon or wine, but now I know you get this tequila company. So do you ever sit on the back porch or wherever with a with a glass of tequila and think and kind of pinch yourself and say, man. I just lived a boyhood dream and won a world series. You ever do that? Oh yeah. I, I don't think when you're, when you're playing and you're in the middle of it, it's hard to do, 
yeah. because you you don't want to reflect back that far or you know you don't you, you're trying to live in the moment and you know be successful and continue your career there was a couple times you know I, when I went to the Diamondbacks we made the playoffs and I hadn't been to the playoffs in a couple of years so I actually went and watched some of those old Cardinal playoff games they're all on YouTube so that was that was a cool time where I could I was trying to prepare for that playoff game but it was it was able to reflect a little bit as well. Um, but just, yeah, the, the reunion was great this year. We were able to like tell stories and, and get all those guys together. Um, we hadn't been in the same room since the parade after that yeah. world series. Um, so that was a great way to like reflect as, as a group and just for me, yeah, to kind of pinch myself almost and be like, you know, I was in the backyard as a, as a kid playing wiffle ball and my dad would say, all right, you know, bottom of the ninth world series you know bases loaded and I, I was basically in that spot you know you, you play make-believe growing up and then it, it really happened so um it's it's just it's cool it, it's special um i could use so many superlatives to describe it, 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 it but it's uh it's just great that's awesome man well it's been awesome having you daniel it's uh, been an absolute pleasure to have you on the circuit of success man i, I enjoyed watching you uh, in your career and uh was excited when we got to connect and that you uh, decided to choose your time and come on the circuit of success, man. So I appreciate that. Well, oh, thank you for having me. You know, I, I saw the lineup of all the other guests you had and I was, uh, you know, I was a little intimidated. You've had some impressive, <laughs> impressive people on there. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you decided to include me. Absolutely, man. I got, I've been, I've been lucky. Let's say, you know, it's one thing I've learned in business. If you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Right. So just to your point, right. Not to go what, into what, this, but Hey, I strike what's out. What's the worst they could say? Like, what's the worst thing you know, right? else is, doesn't respond, which there's been yep. a thousand of those. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or says that uh, buzz off. I, I'm not interested. Yeah. Dude. yeah. You know? But you find the next guest, right? That's right. We'll find the next one. Maybe we'll get John Jay on here next and we'll you, have some you fun. Should. He'd be a good one. He's one of the thousand that hasn't responded. <laughs> I'll, 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 give, I'll give him a nudge. All right, man. It's been awesome having you. All right. Take care. Thanks, Brett. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.